Hi geezer, welcome to episode 31 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Knuckles Vincent, and the other geezer, Jason Twinkletoes Roberts. Very nice. You know what, I, I feel like I'm experiencing deja vu. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we recorded an entire show last week and uh, forgot to press the record button. Yeah, that pretty much sucked. So uh, for everyone, anyone out there who's wondering why there was a long, I guess, two-week break or something like that before releasing this episode, uh, so, so Justin and I recorded what we feel is probably, if not the best, one of the best shows we had done. It yeah. was about a Friday before last, is that right? Yeah. And uh, right at the end of the show, you realized that you had forgotten to uh, hit the record button, right? We had forgotten to repress the record you button. You had forgotten and I had failed to remind you or even <laughs> ask you. Or even take any responsibility whatsoever with God. <laughs> Basically, and it really was a good show. It was. It's. I think we should call it from from here on out the lost episode. That's right, the lost episode. In that lost episode, when we said <laughs> right. it was just, oh, it was a good show. I kept thinking about it the next couple of days after, and I was just like, oh, you know, I mean, because the, there's all these topics that we covered that were going to be fun that you're going to be tending to want to refer back to and then you're but you're, but the reality is that nobody's gonna know what we're talking about because i never heard it i mean at least the i guess what it kind of goes to prove is that we just kind of enjoy talking to each other anyway <laughs> because so speak for yourself you know oh, no, <laughs> no I, you uh i enjoy it this is fun stuff so that sucked but uh we'll just this is the, the title of this uh, episode should be redux Redux. Thirty-one Redux. Episode thirty-one Redux. The second time. Well, I think that a good idea is for us to recap some of the good stuff that we were talking about, and the major thing that we were talking about is the direction of the show and what we're going to talk about, and um, even the name, because we've we've noticed that recently we've started to meander off the topic of tech and onto the topic of other stuff that maybe interests us in our personal lives. But uh, you you had an analogy of uh, like you're sitting in an office with a couple of guys or something. How did that analogy go? Right. Well, the way I sort of I feel like this show has evolved, at least the content of the show, is it's not 100% centered on tech, or at least, you know, we get off topic enough so that it's not, even before we start. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like if you had, you know, you're in a room with a bunch of other, uh, I don't know, hackers, you know, or coders or whatever, and, you know, a certain percentage of your conversations are probably going to be centered on tech. But conversations that aren't centered on tech are probably other things that that group of people would generally find interesting. Or at least the, you, if you were talking about more common themes that are going on in the news or whatever, it would be the way that you would talk about it. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. And I mean, it, it reminds me of the days when I worked at uh, War, you know, and I was working with a group of maybe four or five developers. We'd all be sitting around a desk, um, paired programming. And just loads of different conversations would come up during the day. And as you say, they're not all related to tech. But it's just the kind of stuff that, I guess, geeks talk about. <laughs> right, right. Is that a good way to put it? I'd just say smart people, maybe. <laughs> so I think, yeah. we, sh I think uh, we should... It's, it's assuming that uh, at least we, 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 you know, you're, you're trying to talk about things that are, we might have, that, let me put it this way, they're the, they're the kind of things that would pop up on Hacker News, right? Which tends to be where we get a lot of our, our topics. Yeah. Right? But not just that. I mean... I think I think anything should be up for grabs. I'd I'd quite like to rename the show the show to Tech dot 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 ish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sold on that either. I know Tech. I guess like I mentioned, 
I techish. <laughs> I'm not as I'm not crazy about the name Texing. Uh, but uh, if we're gonna change it, it's got to be something that's 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 really good. You don't if think not, you don't think techish is really good? Techish. It's funny, but it's not. It's not awesome. Okay. You know, because to change it, it's just changing it. You're right. Is a pain in the butt. That's why it's so. That's why it's so nice if you can get it squared away early. Like you really figure out a good name for something because changing names, changing brands is just very inconvenient. But name doesn't even matter. I mean, for example, in in England, there's a there's a, a mobile phone. What do you call it in the US? A cell phone company, and it's called. You know, you'd think that it would be called something like O2 or, or uh, I don't know, AT&T. But the name is actually the Carphone Warehouse. And it's, right. <laughs> and it's been, it's like one of the most successful cell brands. And it just started up as the Carphone Warehouse. And they've just built the brand around that crazy name, you know. And it's like Schmuckers as well. <laughs> That's not a great name, is it? Is that, is that, the, right. is that the name of right. uh, Sweets over here, Schmuckers? Is that what you say? Uh, yeah. So, well, let's... Um... So, so the name, so that the 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 topics, the topics. I mean, we're going to basically talk about the same stuff we've been talking about, right? I think so. I mean, nothing's going to change. It's just that we're not going to stress about it if we get off topic, or, or, or if there's something else that, that that's that might be worth that might be worth talking about. I think that, that it's going to be like the last the last three or four shows, basically, where we really we've meandered, but at the same time, around the central theme of tech. But we yeah. have definitely meandered into strange areas like the fact that I used to wear makeup when I was a teenager and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> that's, that's more than meandering into a strange area. That's, that's just that's bizarre. But uh, good information. Glad but I, you uh, know what? I, I kind of wish that you drank because then we could talk about wine like they do on No Agenda. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't drink at all, so I would I, have nothing to say about it. And you don't really eat either, do you? What do you mean? Am I like a foodie? Am I somebody who? Yeah, you're uh, not a foodie. You're just you just. I think you just eat to live. That's the impression I get. Uh, you know, I like I like to, I you know I like food. I you know I like Indian food and Ethiopian food and different types of ethnic foods. But I'm not a I'm not a foodie no. So I don't I don't obsess about you know restaurants and chefs and how certain dishes are cooked by any stretch. So no. We could no, do some but, jokes about Ethiopian food, but I don't think we should go there. Yeah, well, that's just an obvious joke that everybody makes. But uh, Ethiopian <laughs> food is awesome. Have you ever had Ethiopian food? I have, actually, yeah. Where, where I used to live in London, um, in Tufnell Park, there used to be an Ethiopian restaurant just about three doors up, and it was really, really delicious. They actually, they roast, the, when, when Ethiopians um, make co- coffee in an Ethiopian restaurant, they will roast the coffee kind of at the table. Right. It's kind of yeah, cool. I, just, yeah. I, I, uh, Ethiopian is is uh, is that's my favorite by far. Really, uh, that's your favorite food? Better, better than yeah, McDonald's. Yeah, second is Indian food. Indian is my second favorite. I would say. Um, oh, you mean you like eth- like ethnic style food? I versus- do. I like ethnic food more than I like say standard American fare. Um, I you know I'm lucky that there's a there's a good Indian restaurant down the street that has like a ten dollar buffet for lunch. So <laughs> once or twice a week, I can just go get Indian food. And- I'll tell you what's funny. I can hear in your voice right now as if you're thinking, I don't want to talk about this because this is so off topic. Like you sound you sound kind of reserved. But didn't we just say? I think like, we should start. I think ago- we should start with tech. Okay. And if it gets off topic, that's okay. I don't think we should start off topic. You know, do you know what I mean? I guess. Right. Well, if you insist, let's so let's let's start with tech. Let's start with tech. If we get off topic, it's okay. Don't stress about it. But you know, okay, we'll just put a little bookmark on the um, food discussion. 
Okay, so one thing that we were talking about um, <laughs> uh, that we were talking about uh, in an earlier conversation that it wasn't a podcast is about um, uh, making a hundred hundred users happy. Like that's your initial goal because I had I'd, I'd listened to a, I think it was um, um, Paul Buhite who the the creator of Gmail. Right. And when he was at when he was initially building Gmail at Google, he I, I guess they were at some kind of a meeting with the executives and they were kind of demoing it for for them and and I and I think it was Eric Schmidt who said you know and they were talking about well should we release this should we make this a product and he said listen. If you can make a hundred people here at Google happy, then we'll talk about releasing it. And so Paul was like, "Oh, okay, no big deal. That should be easy, right? I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people at Google." So he said, "But you know, you'd be surprised how hard it is to make a hundred people happy." <laughs> so they yeah. went around and talked to all these people who were sort of testing out using Gmail for them, and they asked them, "So, what do we need to do to make you happy? Are you happy? If not, what do we need to, do to make you happy?" And um, you know. I guess it was good. I got a lot of good feedback, and he said, "You'd be surprised at how hard it is to make people happy." He's like, "But once they got to that point, then they felt like they could, you know, really consider it as a as a product worthy of release." So, uh, you know, in the vein of that story, or, or based on that story, it's like, I think that's a really good thing to think about when you're building your own piece of software, your own product. Is like, you know, just trying to make a, your first hundred users, your core group, really happy. So does that mean that with because TweetMiner now has 99 paying customers that I've almost achieved that goal? Would you consider if someone's prepared to pay for your product that they're happy? Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting question. I mean, is paying for something mean you're happy with it? I think at the very least it's close. It might – it really depends. I mean, you could say, well, a lot of people are happy with something they're not willing to pay for. And there might be a lot of people who are paying for something and they're not necessarily really happy with it. they got no other choice. I think in your case – I'd say that probably means that they're happy. I'd say you're probably right at that point. You know, you have, you've got 100 happy people. So that means that I'm at the point where I can, like, market it to millions and everything will be good. <laughs> well, that means it's just good for public. It's good enough for public consumption, for sure, which has obviously been the case for, for months now. But, you know, I would say you probably have more than 100 happy users because I'm sure you have a lot of people who are happy with it who just don't necessarily um, need to use it more than what is um, allotted through your free um, plan. Well, actually, I, I put up an interesting uh, new stat on the stats page, and it's it's kind of given me pause for reflection, which is basically alongside the stats of, of how many people are using it every day. So there's usually around 130 people using it every day. I hadn't actually done a breakdown of how many of those were paying and how many of those were free. Right. And... I've now put put that stat in, and it seems to be approximately 45% of people using it on a daily basis are actual paying customers. And I was trying to decide, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's a good thing because they always talk about, you always hear about these startups who these, who have a, who have are following the premium, the freemium business model. Yeah. And they say that 2% of, or 1.5% of users are essentially subsidizing the cost of it for everybody else to use it. Right. So, you know, for year in your case, it's like if half the people are paying for it, there are, you know, there then you don't it's not like you have this huge number of people who are just getting something for nothing. I think that also that probably means that you've got a you're doing a pretty good job in 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 not giving too much away for free. Well, it's funny because it kind of made me think a little bit of the opposite way around to what you just described, which is well, should shouldn't I, you know, shouldn't it look more like that like of the people who use it every day, shouldn't it be more like 20% are paying 
or 10% are paying and then 90% are free because that would mean that there's more people on the system to market to. And so I'm think I'm yeah. thinking that maybe the free offering is too restrictive so there's less free users using it and therefore there's less potential to convert people. Yeah, you're probably got a curve there, right? So it's like if you're down at 1% are paying then you're then you're 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 subsidizing too many of the free people. You're probably giving too much away. And if ninety percent of the people are paying, then you're probably you know not giving you're giving away next to nothing. Well, how old? We're talking about two different things. Like number one is registered users, and number two is users the number of users who use it daily, right? So of of the of the right. registered right. users, there's there's three thousand, and you know a uh, hundred of those are paying customers. So that's like a three percent deal. It's actually three point five percent. Is it's uh, ninety nine. Uh, out of two two thousand eight hundred twenty four, but so 3.5% of the entire user base pay, but of the daily people using it, 45% pay. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, so it's, it's, it's good that you don't have too many people you, uh, using a lot of resources who aren't paying. Yeah. Cause that's, that's bad business for you. Yeah. If you, tons of people who are really sucking up the resources and they just, they don't, you're not getting anything out of it. So I don't know. I, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess you can, you know, it's, 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 too, it's hard to change your prices too much. So I guess our, our, our create features and charge and then not charge. So I think it's probably kind of difficult to, 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 to play with it too much. I'm just thinking that if the, what it should look like is if this is where I'd like to see it, maybe 500 people using it a day <clears throat> and 400 of those non-paying, but, but yet addicted to it. And then gradually I can kind of help to, market them and drive them drive them towards the direction of paying do you see what i'm saying because mm -hmm. at the moment there's less people to kind of convert is is the thing that's my theory mm. yeah yeah i don't know it's uh, i i i don't um yeah I, I guess it's something you can experiment with i don't know how you're going to change it because if they're wrong then how do you, you change it back well i i made one change today which is um i upped the the daily api allowance to twitter from 250 to a thousand because I think that that that's a pretty low limit of 250 calls to Twitter per day. And I don't think that it was actually getting a lot of people to upgrade, but I do think it was getting a lot of free users to stop using it. That's my theory. So I'm, I'll go with that and see what happens. You don't have any data on it. It's just a theory. It's a theory. So I'm, I'm, I've left it like that. I'll leave it like that for another month and we'll see how it, how it goes. Right. You know, this brings up another topic I, I had read recently. It's called... Um, uh, this came um, on Hacker News called "You Can't Make Word of Mouth Viral." Okay, shoot. By um, and uh, basically, basically the gist of it is that word of mouth is not the same thing as viral. You know, you can't really depend on that. You can't measure it. Yeah. Um. There's no. It's not like something like Hotmail or something like Facebook. Something that like when somebody uses it, it for them to get value out of it, they want to bring other people into it. Like say Facebook. Right, right. Right. I mean, um, Facebook is obviously incredibly viral. Uh, Hotmail was viral, not that you needed the other people necessarily to use it, but I guess it, it helped that every time you got an email from somebody with Hotmail back in the day, it said, you know, Hotmail on it, free account or free email or something, right? So I guess you're, so by that theory, then TweetMiner couldn't be a viral product because it's just a, it's a client, really. It's not a, a destination. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if client and destination, if that's the if that's the right segmentation or, or differentiation between something that's viral or not. I, I just think something that some element of the of the 
of the product requires or makes people want to bring other people into it. Hmm. That they're going to be incentivized, not just like, oh, yeah, you should use it. It's cool. It's good. It's useful. You know, like Google, like say like certain Google products are not necessarily, like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't think like Gmail isn't necessarily viral. Right. I mean, you can send out invoice, but it doesn't matter whether other people are using it or, or they're just using their ISP or Yahoo or whatever. I mean, what do you care if somebody uses it? doesn't matter. You still communicate with them. It's an open email yeah. sort of an protocol open platform. So, I, I mean, I think those are things that are kind of viral like hmm. um, because at least that, like Hotmail was viral esque. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just like something like, oh, if I really like something, I'll go tell people about it. That's interesting. But so, you, I mean, your secret project can't be viral. Yeah, it can. Absolutely. It can? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I was thinking about that. I'm like, it's going to be incredibly viral, hmm. I think. When are you going to release it? <laughs> uh, it's um, it's getting very close. So I've been, um, uh, you know, I mean, I work on this thing every day, you know, usually at least an hour, an hour and a half. Sometimes, you know, on the weekends or some days I can get a few hours on it. So um, it's it's coming along really quickly now. I'm I'm well progressed to really um, sort of knocking out the uh, user interface, and I initially focused on the engine itself. Yeah, because that was the re- where the real complexity of everything um, was, and I just needed to see if we could even make some of this stuff work. And once that was working, and I got the engine working well enough, it's like okay, now if, once we get this thing, get a UI on this thing, and make this thing kind of work like a like a product, and get our arms around it, then then you start feeling like, okay, now I want to release this, right? Because when it's just an engine, you're just running like unit tests and you're just running, I mean, you know, it's like nobody can use it really. It's just a, you know. Have you written unit a, tests for it? I've written some tests like that. No, I don't have like a full regression suite or anything like that, no. But, but um, I'll probably do some more of that later as as we're, you know, as this thing's starting to, to continue to take shape. I mean, I'm, I'm testing it constantly, but I don't do. Uh, I'm impressed. Would, I mean, I think that's the first time you've, you've discussed, you know, writing unit tests or regression tests or anything like that. So that sounds yeah. like a step forward. <laughs> but you yeah. know what? For, well, I think for the, given the kind of product it is, and it's sort of similar to my secret project, I think that it needs tests because essentially any product that other people rely on mm-hmm. needs tests. In yeah. My opinion. You, know, I, you know, it's got to work. I mean, you want it to be, you know, bulletproof. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm I'm getting pretty excited about getting to that alpha release. So I'm thinking, you know, I might be able to do some alpha release in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> the UI is coming together pretty quickly. Um, That's good. I'm, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm really excited about it. So I can't wait to release it. I can't wait to have people start to use it. So, um, yeah. But, you know, so here's an interesting. Oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say um, my own. Uh, this is something we discussed the last show that that we didn't record, which is that my own secret project. I've come to the conclusion that. I'm just going to do the same deal as with TweetMiner. I'm just going to build it and release it uh, because we've, we, I've spent a year trying to get funding, trying to get the million bucks in through the door to fund it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's the same story <coughs> from all the VCs. They think it's a great idea, but they, they need to see the proof in the marketplace. They need to see user adoption. So my way of thinking about it is the same as you've been thinking about your project, which is you need to build a critical amount of it to, um, you know, before it's useful to people. But mm-hmm. I think what I've decided is I'm actually going to create a really a minimum viable product that isn't going to be particularly useful to anyone, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going to release it anyway. Just the very right. first piece of basic functionality. So now why do you want to have two, secret, uh, two, pro- uh, two projects? I mean, you already have TweetMiner. 
it's picking up steam, and why not just focus on that? Well, because um, because the thing about Tweetminer is it was only a it was only like a, a kind of afterthought of the of this podcast, right? So, so it wasn't so really. That? I mean, I mean, most. I mean, Twitter was an afterthought. It was a, just a little joke of a project. I mean, a lot of these things. I mean, Gmail was a little side project that Paul Buhite was building at Google. I mean, a lot of these things start as just sort of like you know, experiments, just a joke, just to, you know, and they turn into the fundamental product because people actually like it and they use it. I mean, who cares where it started? It's where it ends, I guess. Is But I mean, what about the fact that I've got, I've got a partner in the other project and I've been working with him for a year and he's sort of got a stake in the project. And if I stop using it, if I stop moving forward, then what, you know, what about his time investment? Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not, look, hmm, here's the thing, right? I mean, you, you've told me this guy's a real high-powered guy, right? Right. I don't know, MBA from Harvard, blah, 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 right? He's like a real smart, <laughs> super, right? You know, I mean, he's got, he's got the awesome resume, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, he's got the awesome resume. He's, he's got connections. I mean, what does he need you to build a startup for him to have something interesting to do, right? I mean, he has probably any number of very interesting lucrative options. So you don't have to provide him with uh, a living. And it's not like he's your buddy that you guys grew up together and you guys hang out all day long and it's just something you want to do together. He's a guy who you like and respect and, and you've spent some time with and that you, you know, find valuable. But if, you know, if, uh, if, if what you're doing right now, which is the whole plan was to go get venture and funding doesn't work out, I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that you should have to worry about whether he has something to do. Okay, that, so that's one thing. Um, and that's not my, not my main criteria for doing I mean, if he was, it. If, you're, if he was like your, 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 your broke-ass brother who's been unemployed for two years and you guys are working on this, <laughs> and you feel like somehow obliged to like somehow provide him with a living, you know, otherwise he's going to end up on the street, you know, then I'd say, okay, well, you, know, you better help him out somehow. Okay, this guy does not need your help. You know, no, no, completely. And, and I think I've given the wrong impression. I'm not saying the reason why I'm doing it is because of that. Um, I'm oh, just, okay, so that's first, that was just, that's, that's just like the first, the first thing, right? Okay. So the, so that's the, the first thing. Let me say the second thing. I want to respond to one thing you were talking about, which is throwing, uh, you know, you you already have a, an investment of time. Okay. But I think you, every, I think it's, it's always, um, it tends to be a mistake for you to look and say, how can I, I put in time in this, what can I do with it? It's like, what is the smartest thing to do at, right, at this very moment going forward? Not to have this emotional connection to what you did with your time for the last hour or day or month or year. You know, it's like, okay, right now, going forward, what is the optimal thing to do? And a lot of times, is, you know, human, it's sort of a cognitive bias, which is that we overvalue things that we've spent time on just because we, you know, it, it sort of gives meaning or value to the way we spent time. We don't like to think oh, that was a big waste of time. <laughs> you know, one has to admit that. But that could be the you same know? deal with, that could be the same deal with Tweetminer. I mean, the, the, my, th- my feeling is, is that the other thing, the other project is a larger opportunity and uh, a more interesting opportunity that may affect more people and be more, more fun in the long run. So what's to say that, you know, I could focus on Tweetminer and build, you know, a, a small business, something quite small, very, very lifestyle oriented because I can't, I just can't at this stage visualize it becoming a really big thing, throwing off wads of cash. Um, well, I mean, how, look, well, let's, well, let's talk about that. How how much has it has it grown in the past 
How much are you how are you generating revenue wise a month? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I mean, a couple of things. The growth I'm measuring not by money. I'm actually measuring by transactions when I think about it, because the because there's this wild card where people can buy a year in advance. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a wild card, and really the interesting thing is the monthly subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking at is the number of transactions and the growth of that, and it seems to be let's say first month was 15 transactions, second month was 45 transactions, third month 56 transactions, uh, fourth month 61. So it's kind of like a 10 percent, 10 15 percent growth rate. Yeah, as where that's it really good. That's actually really good. That 10 percent just that grows really quickly. I mean, if if you know, it's 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 not very many months to, to. It's kind of hard to extrapolate too much. It's always hard to extrapolate anyway. But yeah. extrapolating off of like five data points, you go, well, it's ten percent growth. Uh, you know, that's always hard to say. But you know, my uh, as I mentioned before, my buddies over at uh, Central Desktop, Isaac and Arnoff. I remember they started out. And it was like what two thousand five, and we would grab lunch every you know once a week, and he would give me the update and. And they're making like two hundred dollars a month, and they're making four hundred. You know, it was like at first he was like embarrassed to even say he was just so irritated that how little money and and how you know it was just growing like whatever it was ten or twenty percent a month like this. And but I man, a, year, a couple of years later, it was like holy smoke, they're doing well, right? And then they kept growing. Hmm. I mean, it was just it was amazing. It was just like it was just a matter of patience and sticking with it. And now you know. Well, I got like 30 employees or whatever. I mean, they're down the street. They have this huge office and all these people, and they're doing incredibly well. It was great business. And it started off for the first, you know, you know, it was just the two of them for a couple of years. And it started off like it was just a joke, the amount of money it made for the first, you know, three or four or six months. It was just, you know, a few hundred bucks. I mean, it wasn't even doing as well as you're, you're doing. And then eventually it got up to, you know, it was like two years later, they could start paying themselves a salary. I mean, they kept funneling the money back into infrastructure. They didn't really take any of the money off, but... So we've we've had a couple of conversations off air about this, and you've always kind of said that you much prefer Tweetminer than the other than the other project. Why is that? I do because um, I'm uh, because it's working because it, it it because it's it's solving a it's solving a problem that people apparently want to solve because they're willing to pay you money. It's it's very uh, tractable. It's a very doable problem. Like you've already solved the core problem. It's just a matter of improving the experience and and improving the um, you know building up the marketing and the brand, and so it's very much something that a, a one person can do for quite a while, and you know you, you know you wouldn't even have to hire a bunch of people, and it could just can you grow and grow and grow, not create a bunch of stress for you, just keep throwing off money. It's not like you have to keep throwing money back in infrastructure because you hired a bunch of people, and it's like you know you're making money every month now. Right, and that money's just going to keep going up, and that much, that much more money that you make is that much less you have to do consulting. The point that you don't have to do consulting anymore; you're just doing this. It's just, you know, it just seems like a, it's kind of a layup. I mean, it's just like you you got on a train, just ride it, just keep. You know, this is the you've got over the hardest part, which is getting a product and then people using using it, and then getting a product that people use and they'll pay for it, and it's actually growing. It's like to just sort of like kick that to the side and say, well, I got this other bigger idea, and it just is so big, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think. Most of these things that become big start out as something like this, which is something that was just small and they didn't think it was a big deal or a big issue and just people liked it. That's why. There's nothing against the other project. It's just this is just – it's just working. It's real. It's like why you know, not invest, continue to invest in it? Yeah, no, that, I mean, well, li- listen, thank you very much. Uh, what you just said is, is interesting and it's definitely food for thought. Um, 
<sighs> I have to have a think well, about one it. One other thing I'll say is, and I think we've talked about this before, is that one of the biggest risks in startups is uh, founders losing focus. And uh, the example I gave back was the, the Kiko HX calendar that came out back in like 2005 that was a early Weiss Combinator yeah. funded. And they ended up selling the thing for, I think, quarter million uh, to two cows on like eBay or something like that. So it ended up working out okay for them. But in their, in their sort of postmortem, the biggest problem is they said they just kept, they lost focus. They were just working with other stuff. They had other ideas they were exploring and they just kind of, you know, gave up in fact. And that was kind of one of Paul Graham's biggest things. He's like, the only way you lose is by quitting and giving up. And, but the next closest thing to quitting is just sort of just starving it of your energy. It's funny. Right? Which, I, I'm just... I'm just um, just uh, in the process of negotiating um, a contract as a, as a consultant to work mm-hmm. on to work on um, a company's uh, website and help them build it. Right. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to get me to sign this contract. And there's the whole question of IP, right? Intellectual mm-hmm. property and any any inventions that I come up with while I work for them that pertain to them, they own. Right. And during that process, part of the contract was to write out a list of all prior inventions and so all prior inventions that i have made so that those things can be disqualified essentially okay i see and the list is just huge (laughs) it's just just all this stuff that i've kind of started and you know it's half baked and it hasn't been finished (laughs) so i think i definitely suffer from you know potentially suffer from that problem I think a lot of us do. Fin- starting stuff is easy. Finishing is hard because starting stuff, except it's new and it's interesting and it's a, it's a, it's it's a, shi- it's kind of the shiny new problem. Or and then you, then you sort of solve the core of the problem and you kind of that's enough of of a of a win that you just don't want to do the rest. And that's why so many uh, so many of these um, open source projects are so useless. Is because they don't provide all of the finishing touches out of the documentation and the supporting. I don't know, whatever, the user interface or all the things that make people want to really use stuff. So maybe the problem should be, maybe we should view the problem differently rather than think of the problem as the technology. How about the problem is I need to make a million bucks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. Don't stop working on it until you fix that problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you don't have to say a million dollars, but you say, how can I work on something until it is a substantial income generator. How about that, right? Yeah. I mean, if something was generating, you know, 10, five or 10 grand a month, you know, and it's just one person working on it, that's really nice. That's great. If it, replace, if it replaces your income, whatever you would be doing, uh, making as a consultant, I would consider that a good stopping point where you could just say, I'm just going to rest on my laurels if you want to. I mean, obviously there's some point we're going to get off the train. A lot of people say, well, why don't you make it triple that or quadruple that or this and that. But I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that you work on something, you have to work on it forever because guys like us, you know, we want to always try new stuff, new challenges. I mean, you get bored of stuff after a while, but you haven't even been working on this that long. Hey, did you oh, see, you this for years. did you see on Hacker News? See, you're uh, already changing the conversation. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> did you see right on Hacker News? <laughs> no, I just, I just think people probably want us to move on. Did you see um, on Hacker News um, posts called minus 2000 lines of code? Ah. <sighs> Right. You know what? Actually, I want to I want to um, bring up one other thing before that, if you don't mind. Okay. Which is um, the uh, the idea of starting something new. Yeah. So a friend of mine, I've mentioned this. I think I mentioned this before. This uh, a friend of mine. He and another guy have been talking about doing a technology startup, and 
but neither of them are really technical. One had done a, a tech startup. I think it was called like TripUp or TripMates or something. And they ended up selling yeah. that to uh, another travel website. And But now he's an attorney working, doing corporate law or something. And he's in really wants to get out of it and do, get, do a startup again. And this friend of mine has done a couple of tech startups. Now, he doesn't really know how to code that well. He he did for a while. He learned he he learned how to code some Java and learned some database stuff when I actually taught him. I actually uh, and I'll, I I could tell you that story in a minute because it was kind of interesting. But I think you um, did tell us that story on another episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was one of those people who he had an idea that so don't tell it again. Yeah. No, I won't tell it. <laughs> okay. It's back in some this episode. But he and an, he and another guy had did a startup and they had you know patented the technology and they had outs they had some hired this you know, guy was a sharp developer was going to write the whole thing. And it was months and months and months and months and months ago. And then, and then he never really was, the guy never really delivered it. And so, and he got kind of desperate. And I said, look, Mark, man, I can teach you how to write Java. I mean, just build it yourself. You know, worst case, you learn how to program Java. And this was back like when the market was crap, like in 2001, 2002. Right. And I said, you know, worst comes to worst, man, you know, maybe you could do some consulting work or something, you know, cause he was out of a out of a job and i said but meanwhile maybe you can try and build this yourself and he was a smart enough guy that i was able to teach it to him fairly quickly i mean i i gave him a couple power lessons and then he of course taught himself the rest and but he's since moved on and done a bunch of other stuff not tech related and so he he and his friend are like hey you know, we want to do like an iphone app you know we have this really we have some really cool ideas for an iphone app we really want to do stuff and um they had gone on and talked to uh, – they've gotten pricing from a number of different iPhone uh, consulting companies to build I'm, this app for them. I'm trying to find the point in what, in this story. I will get to it. Okay. I'm getting, meandering my way there, right? <laughs> so he – they um, – I mean the prices were huge. I mean $30,000, $40,000. To develop was, an iPhone app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, or higher. And uh, I said, you know, Mark, just – why don't you just build it yourself? You know, I mean, because and uh, in, in the end of it, he said he, he, he took my advice. I said, look, if, if, if the very, you know how to code sort of already, you can already program a little PHP, a little Java. It's not like you don't know how to code. You don't just you don't know how to build iPhone apps. But you know what? You're you're you, ha- you have enough time in your hands to start teaching yourself. And the worst comes to worst, you spend a couple months on it. You at least have a much clearer idea of maybe what you want the product to be. Maybe you can get a prototype, which might be able to knock off the price for whoever might finish it up for you. And he ultimately he gave me a call the other day and he's like, how about, you know, we'll pay your rate. I already talked. He's already talked to his partner and he's like, we'll pay your rate. And then you help me build the iPhone app. And as you realize, I don't really I've never I've done. I messed around a little bit with Objective C and Coco, but I don't know. Build an iPhone app. And I said, so if you want to get a true iPhone developer, you can do that. And he's like, no, no, I want to sit as we will do it together. So it looks like I'm going to be building an iPhone app. So you talk about doing something new, completely yeah. in a different direction. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done nothing in that direction. Objective C. Oh, I see. So, so the, the, there's not a lesson here. There's not a moral here. You're just saying that you're about to do something in a new direction. Completely different. Right. I mean, this is going completely different. Like me me becoming a voice actor. Exactly. Well, I'm not that far off field. I mean, let's still write a code. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. I'll let you know. But one thing I told him, I said, look, I said, why don't we spend, we'll spend like a couple weekends, we'll work on it together. And if you decide that we're not making enough progress or whatever, I mean, if you want to, you know, go and hire a true iPhone developer, um, I won't, you know, have my feelings hurt or anything. I'm just telling you right now. It sounds um, like a really high quality iPhone app. 
is going to be made. Well, we'll see. You know, I mean, that's, well, you know, what happens is is that you a lot of these apps just start out and people start building stuff, and they're not experts in it, but they become experts at through the process of building it. Is this something that could be answered with um, simple like JavaScript? Because I've got I've oh, got like, a, I've got a friend who's basically built a, a framework that lets you create iPhone apps in HTML and JavaScript. I don't know. So don't you know. basically it, you just you just write the write the, all you need you you need to have a Mac so that you can publish it to to iPhone format. Mm-hmm. But you just write it out in HTML and JavaScript, and then it will do the app. So as long as you make the app feel good and work good and give it a good skin and mm-hmm. stuff. It it has all this, all the widgets built in to make it work like an iPhone app with JavaScript and HTML. Right. I mean, does this guy is it is a public website? Can I go and check it out? Uh, no, because it's he hasn't released it yet. But he, you know, you could be his first client. Yeah. Well, why don't you send me his email? I mean, I I don't know. I I I don't know the specs of it well enough to to answer that question. I don't know what's provided through HTML and JavaScript on an iPhone versus what you can do on an app. And uh, and much less what it all they all ultimately want to do with it. I have a general outline of what they're what they're trying to do. Well, he's got hooks, so so you you can get hooks via the JavaScript into the iPhone OS, basically. Mm. If you need to do that stuff, you know. That would be interesting. That might save a lot of time. Yeah, big time. Because I, I certainly know JavaScript. <laughs> so, yeah, you do. And <laughs> uh, you know, I I would be I'd much rather do it than than do. Well, you know what? I mean, it'd be fun to learn Objective C, but. If we could do this thing way faster in JavaScript, especially maybe in our first version of it, yeah, it's so like, that's I cool. Mean, you can tie into the OS and JavaScript in, on an iPhone. I, I think so. I'm, I may I may be being a little overzealous with the, with the technology he's created. Maybe I need to sit down and have a chat with him. That sounds um, very insecure for a website. That's the impression. Well, it's not a website; it's an app. So it generates an app based on the uh, JavaScript. No, it's it basically it. Okay, what it is is it's the same app harness. So he's written the Objective C app, and then that, uh, along with that, is your HTML and JavaScript, which kind of go inside the app. Then the app runs the HTML and the JavaScript via the via the inbuilt Safari web browser, and mm. um, uh, it it allow, he's kind of inbuilt sockets that allow you to talk to the OS via his sort of Objective C. Yeah, mapper. that's very clever. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe, yeah. There you go. So, go on. What were you going to say about the two thousand lines of code? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, did did you read that that post about minus two thousand lines of code on on Hacker News? Yeah, it was something like they were. This is something back in the lease when they were building the lease operating system. They're writing code for it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And they would say, well, they're going to compensate people or give people bonuses based on, or at least reviews based on how much code and lines of code they've written. Yeah, based on the number of lines, of, you know, the output really. So, yeah, of which course, is asinine. So of course the you know the the main the, the sort of the main coder the good coder that week <laughs> what he does is he refactors to a point where he actually saves two thousand lines of code and in in his report you know because at the end of every week they need to submit how many lines of code they've written and then that determines whether they get their bonus or not he submits minus two thousand <laughs> right so which is interesting you know because like this the idea of um basically charging per line. I, I've done a little bit of looking at looking around the net about that. And one of the things is that NASA, for example, um, there, there's, a, there's a sort of, let's say, an urban folklore that NASA... Ch- it, oh, God, I'm stumbling. NASA... Will, it costs NASA a thousand bucks for each line of code. That's, right. that's bug-free, right? So NASA create bug-free code 
and it cost them a thousand dollars a line. Do they have other general um, metrics for that? Like, you know how they say like for Facebook, there's like a, a 10 million users per Facebook developer, 3 million. And then Google has like, you know, 300,000. And then, you know, it's like the number of develop, the number of users you have per developer. That's interesting. It's because, kind of a similar metric. Because like if you think about it, NASA, right, they pay a thousand bucks a line, but they've probably got the least amount of users. Wow. Right. Well, I guess in some sense we're all users, right? Since right. we're all like you know, funding and sort of, I don't know, in some way taking a part in this space age. But that's kind of a push. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of a, that's a stretch. I mean, well, we're not really going up in a spaceship, are we? No, we're not really. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that stuff cannot crash. You know. So yeah, it's interesting to see like how many. But I think that's really interesting though. That's just another metric of looking at like how many how many dollars it cost per line of code. But then again, it's like you know what is the quality of the code? You know, it's much better. It's like how many different users you have per developer. There was an interesting thread about this on the Business of Software forum, and um, one guy was saying that he's calculated that over the last five years, he's counted every thousand lines of code, he bills about twelve hundred. Twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars for yeah, that, every thousand lines that he that he writes. Yeah, so it's it's coming it's coming into about you know one point one point oh two per line. See, it's really hard to measure. I mean, so like when you're writing throughout the day, I'm 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 writing code and deleting it and rewriting it. How many times? So every time I write it, initial time is that one, or is it at the end of the day? How many lines there are? I think it's what's what's in the shipped product. What's in the shipped product? Yeah, what's it? What's in the 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 product that you supply to the client? Right. Well, I guess if you're billing and then because it, it's like, for instance, in TweetMiner, it's like, well, like I said, when are you finished? Right. <laughs> well, uh, well, how many lines of code is in, um, uh, let's say, local bacon that you've written? I have no idea. I mean, you count lines of HTML and CSS as well as JavaScript and PHP. Yeah. And why not? Yeah. Yeah. Which one was, I, who knows? I have no idea. I could even estimate I'd have to. I've, ne- I've never done an analysis like that. Any more than I've done like a letter count of an email I've sent, you know? Yeah. I have no how many characters are in that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um, hmm. It's kind of interesting. Um, well, it's, it's just an interesting metric, but but I mean, I, I don't think it's something that you can use to build clients or something like that. But it's just you know, it's just interesting. Anyway, right. next. Next, I got I got I got one. Go on. Quality is fractal. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's where. You go into a restaurant and you can tell how good the restaurant is by the napkins they use. The that's what the article is about. I do you know who? Do you remember the title of the article? Mm, no, I can't remember it either. I I was looking for my list and I and I kind of lost it somewhere. But I, I remember the the uh, the phrase "quality is fractal." Right. So that you know, if you look at a car or any kind of product, you just take one piece of it and just look at it. That kind of to a certain degree is a, a good proxy for the quality of the overall car. Of the overall product, of a computer, or you know, if you look at, I'm gonna look at 50 lines of your code. That'll probably give me a good sense of what your overall code base is. But they like, even say that they're even taking that to all of the staff in the company, right up to the CEO. And I kind of agree with that, you know. Right. Like well, it, it's wait, 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 wait. What do you mean by the CEO? Well, everything's a reflection of everything else. It's a fractal. So you, so you can go from the napkin to the the chef to the food and the you know the type of chef and. That means how much the chef's being paid, and he's probably not being paid that much, which means right. that the boss is probably a bit too cheap to pay the chef that much. So you can kind of work out, you know, and probably when you go to the toilets, they're not going to be very clean. And once again, that's that shows you that the boss doesn't really place high value on cleanliness in the toilets and 
et cetera, et cetera. So you, so you look at one component and it goes really to every little part of the company. Yeah, I mean, that's why in some sense, which is really interesting about this is an interesting sort of, I don't know, dichotomy or um, is the idea that perfectionism is what makes products great. I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, people love Apple products and Steve Jobs is, is a, a perfectionist. He's an obsessive perfectionist. Yeah. Right. You say with this perfection, you know, this obsessiveness with detail, with removing unnecessary buttons, or removing unnecessary clutter, with cleaning up things, removing unnecessary clicks, whatever it is, that takes it continually refactoring, redesigning, cleaning thing up, reevaluating. Okay, now that's also sort of the opposite of this idea of just get something up and out there with this whole minimal viable product thing, right? Good enough, good enough. Just get out there, good enough kind of Well, thing. that's been Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft, it's funny because Microsoft and Apple are the exact opposite in that way. Like they, yeah, it's okay. like they're, they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're the devil and God. <laughs> but who's well, there's who? A kind of, there's kind of a couple axes we can talk about on this, which is one is the release early, good enough. You know, it's like the good is the enemy of the great, that whole uh way of thinking, which is that if you're perfecting it, you're not going to release it. You're never going to get users. You're never going to find out what's real. And But but uh, Apple, to some degree, doesn't release stuff until it's pretty damn good, right? They don't le- release a piece of crap. They don't do the minimal viable product. I mean, they might be might be missing features, but they've spent a lot of time. But that doesn't make sense because the guy, because Guy Kawasaki, uh, is, if I said that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he used used to be marketing director of Apple, right, or lead evangelist no, or something. No, he was evangelist. He was yeah, the first okay, okay, evangelist. One of one of the big things that he says is release then test. That's one of his okay, call. Be, his, well, his is be crap, be be. Don't worry, be crappy. Yeah, and it's it's release then test. I mean, he you remember that three line, uh, three word advice, startup advice. He added to the list release then test. Which yeah, so I guess I guess the real thing, the way to think about it is that don't have a lot of features. Try and be at the core of the problem, but those features you do do really polish them, right? Right. So that's what I think. Base. That's what the thirty-seven signals guys are always um, trying to uh, always claiming that the most important thing to do is just release half a product, not a half-ass product. Right. Right. They say, you know, don't do all these features, but that way you can really make those 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 limited number of features that you have work really really well. And it might turn out you don't need this in the product, other features, etc. So. You know, when Apple releases, like they talk about the iPad or when their first version of like the iPod or some of the stuff. Or maybe well, the iPhone missed. didn't even have copy and paste. Yeah, they talk about that, right? So that's one way of doing it. Okay, but here's another interesting thing I think about. Um, yeah, because Microsoft definitely does, you know, release and then fix stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, like, Word is just. I mean, they don't have minimal viable product in the sense it doesn't do anything. It does a lot of stuff, it just it breaks a lot. Yeah. Crashes, now, blue screen of death. Yeah. But here's another interesting sort of um, what I'm finding is sort of a cognitive dissonance, which is that there's these two ideas that everybody keeps espousing, but they, they're not, they don't, they don't go together. They're kind of at odds, which is the idea of the minimal viable product, which everybody on Hacker News, everything is talking about, just release it, right? The simplest thing you can get out there, release yeah. it. Okay, and the reason they say that, or one of the key things, is that you don't know if people are going to want your product. You need to let the market tell you what your product is, right? Yeah. Because because they'll you throw something out there, and then 
everybody will tell you, well, that doesn't work or this needs to be that or whatever. And, and you, rather than you spending months or years iterating on something that is not what people want, you okay. know, get some there. Right. So that's it. Right. That's in, in some now. Well, no, there's the other, there's the other side to the argument of your cognitive dissonance. Yeah. The other side. Okay. Yeah. Which is this, the whole, uh, 37 signals approach, which is when lose, losing base camp, they, they, they don't throw it out there and, and get a lot of feedback. They don't change stuff very much. They say they, they build they, Oh, it's the idea of scratching your own itch. Okay. That's right. Minimal viable product versus scratching your own itch. If you're scratching your own itch, then you understand you are the fundamental client. You are building something to solve your problem. You're not asking other people to solve, you know, what problem they want solved. And so Basecamp, which was 37 Signals, I think first product release, was solving their own problem, and they got it out there, and they made it, you know, minimal to some degree, but made it work really well to solve their problem. And people come back and say, "We should do this, this, and this," and they're like, "Well, no, it's not going to do that. It's going to do what well." It's we because want. marketing was their was their big gig. Like 37 Signals are great at marketing, and that's. I mean, arguably the most important aspect of building any company. But is don't you see how those things are at odds with one another? The the sort of like scratch your own itch versus the minimal bio. Minimal bio product is like, I have no idea what anyone wants. I'm just going to throw some crap out there and hope that people respond to it and, and build something, scratch whatever itch people tell me they need scratched. Yeah, they are at odds with right? each other. But what's your point about that? Well, they're completely opposite. They're the same thing you hear over and over again. Scratch your own itch, release early and get feedback on, I, you know, I, okay. You describe describe cognitive dissonance to me. Cause I think that's the part that I'm missing that's having in this, two, in this current two opposite uh, and opposing ideas in your head at the same time that, that then on, you know, that that's, um, cognitive dissonance. So when you, you're, you, it's, it's very hard to do that without, you know, giving yourself a headache. Well, if you, you know. think about it, Apple kind of do both of those things because they release minimum viable product, but they release what they want and what they like. And what really makes them they happy. scratch their? I mean, they're re, they're really not. They're with, but they're not. They, no, because I don't think they're doing minimal viable product. They release a. They don't release a bloated product, but they they know what they want to build. Yeah. There's somebody who's like a product visionary says, "This is the problem I want to solve. This is something I want. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do a great job of it. It's not going to do a million things, but it's going to do the things that I think are important, and then I'm going to release it, and then." You know, we, they might respond to some feedback, but it's primarily driven by the vision of, so the, of the, somebody like Steve Jobs or Jason, you know, Freed or whoever. These people are product visionaries. They're not throwing something out there really early so that they can have the world tell them what it is. So what would, the iPad minimum, what would the iPad minimum viable product be? Just like well, a, I don't know. A, I don't know. A, I mean, I'm just I'm a just, tablet I, and a screen with, with an OS and maybe some notes. Yeah, but he's not. He, Steve Jobs, I don't think is sitting there going, "Gee, I'm not really sure people want this, but we'll get out there and we'll see what people want." I think he's saying, "I know what people want. I'm going to tell you what you want." But people yeah, say, well, "Oh, but... we don't like it. We don't like a touch screen." You know, back when the iPhone or I, you know, first came out, I was like, "Oh, you know, it really needs a keyboard and this and that." And he's like, "No, you. This is not what you want. This is what you want." And people are like, "No, no, I want a keyboard." He's like, "No." But at this stage, I mean, he's got he's got fifty billion dollars that says he's right. Well, I'm just saying. You know, there are two different types of organizations. 37 Signals is not asking the market to tell them what they should build. They are scratching their own itch. They say, we are a good proxy for the world. So are, they, build- are they like Apple then? They are a mini version of Apple, absolutely, in, that, in, that reg- in regards to that, which is that they, there's something that they want to exist in the world, either because they want it or it's going to solve their problem. 37 Signals is utilitarian, mostly something that's going to solve a problem. I, you know... 
who knows Apple might be just say, hey, this would be cool. We want it. So who's and, the so who's the the small example of the other way of thinking? Well, that's that's like a lot of these things are. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I I'm is that tweet miner? I don't know. I mean, you, I don't know. I mean, I think much much more often. I think it's rare that you have the product visionary versus the um, you know market. Please tell me what you want, and I'll build it. I think because it's. I think we. Had, I think there was a. Um, a, uh, I can't remember what article I read. This is another one where they're talking about how if the the ultimate quality of the product is can never be better than the person in control, whoever the person is who's sort of like said this is the pro this is the product's good enough for releasing it. Whatever their taste is, it'll never be better than that. Hmm. So yeah, you know, you, Microsoft products will never be good as. Um, Steve Jobs until they have as good as as good as Apple until they have somebody equivalent to a Steve Jobs in terms of their taste, their product taste. Yeah, that's really you interesting. Can't because ultimately the person in charge of it, it's good enough for releasing it, and 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 somebody outside of it who has who might have better taste, you're looking at go, that's crap. You know, that's basically the same as saying like in in audio recording. Uh-huh. So when when you have audio recording, um, you have a signal chain from the sound where the, where the sound gets input into the desk, and that goes through a couple of things. So First of all, it goes through, uh, let's say it's a singer, it goes through a microphone, then it goes through a mic preamp, then it goes through a mixing desk, then it gets into the computer, then it gets recorded or goes into whatever form of recording. And essentially the sound is as good as the weakest link in the chain. So you can spend $1,000 on a mic, but if your mic preamp isn't a $1,000 mic preamp, then your your mic's not going to sound like a $1,000 mic because it has to go through the $1,000 mic preamp. And that's yeah. that's a similar kind of concept. Yeah, because it, it, it's just that this is like the output, right? It's like your speakers. The person, the, whatever the final say is, so either the final say in refunding or releasing the product, whatever whoever that is, whatever their taste level is, is kind of the, the, the you know, as much as it will be. Because as soon as they think it's good enough, they, as soon as they think it's great. Interesting. They're like, why are we working on more? Let's get it out there. Whereas if somebody had a much um, you know, finer filter and said, you know what, this is not good, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, we're not releasing it. Until- well, it's just Microsoft never, has never been about aesthetics, really. Whereas Apple's always – well, it, no, you know what it is? It's, it's when they got um, – what's his name? Uh, John Ives, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he's an English guy. And um, he, they, Apple brought him on board as, as the head of design. And since he's come on board is when Apple has just totally changed. Because before that, they were interesting. You know, they were different to PCs in the sense that they looked like the old Apples, but they weren't really nice design. But when, when John Ives came on board, they just went really, really sleek and cool. Yeah, I mean, that's... Anyway, I just think that's an interesting thing. Because people don't, I, don't, I haven't seen anyone point that out before. The, the, the scratcher itch is not compatible, really, with the minimal viable product in, in philosophy. And I think it is just because very few people have um, are, are have the kind of taste and product vision that can can do that. I mean, they talk about. I think it was, uh, and I think we talked about this a long time ago. But um, was Steven Spielberg? But someone had asked him in an interview, like, you know, how does why are his movies so good, or you know, something like this, is years ago. And he's like, and I think it was after Jurassic Park. He released after Jurassic Park. This is like a long time ago. And he said, you know, I just make movies that I'd want to see. You know, that would be cool. Hmm. So when you think of Indiana Jones or 
Ghost Counters of the Third Kind or E.T. or Jurassic Park. He's like, that would be a cool movie. I want to make that. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to make something I, you know, that has X amount of car chases and this amount of romantic you know, plot lines and you know, he hits these beats and therefore we can sell it. It's like, you know, he doesn't care. He's trying to, I want to make something that I want to see. You know what's interesting about people like John Ives when they, they're they designing stuff like iPhones or Apple computers or whatever? It's not just like they, they've got to have such a depth of knowledge about the, the process of manufacturing and what the possibilities are. So it's like they need to kind of bring that into their into their design thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because if, if they design something that can't actually be built, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not worth anything. That kind of reminds me of a friend of mine who's a screenwriter. Right. And. Uh, I ask him the kind of movies he writes. He's like, look, I write movies that can get made, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? He's yeah. like, he's like, because he has one movie that would probably cost like 100 or 150 million to make. I mean, it's a massive epic scale movie. It's really cool concept, a really cool idea. But it's the kind of thing it's been, it's been, he's been meeting after meeting for years now with big studios. And it could go for years, years, and years, and years, and maybe get made, maybe not, because it's just so big, right? right? And And for big movies to get made, you have to have, you know, a lot of firepower. I mean, the, the director, producer, whoever it is, the writer's got to be big shots that they can really try and, and then it requires a lot of luck and persistence. But if you're small fry, you're small fry and you're like, hey, I can, I have the credibility that I can get funding for a one or two or $5 million movie. Then, and you're like, because he himself, he's a writer and director and he's written a, a few and directed a few films. And he's like, look, I'm writing stuff that I can get funding for, <laughs> you know, three did million you, Did you know that John, John Cameron, um, when he wrote Avatar, it, like he wrote it so many years ago that he just never wanted to start making it until the technology was ready. So he sort of had yeah, this idea. Yeah, there's a big write up and wired about that. Oh, okay, right. It was a couple months ago, right? Wired, right. there's a big wired article about that, right? Oh, I hate that. That's when I <clears throat> I say one of those things that I think like no one knows and everyone heard. Everybody about knows. <laughs> no, please feel free to go on. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. Tell us about Avatar. It's a cool movie, isn't it? <laughs> no, I mean it's it's interesting though. I mean. So um, it is actually a cool movie. It's like, I think it's a landmark in, in movie making. I really do like just the, the fact that it's animated characters, but that are giving across completely real human emotions. And it's, it's sort of, you know, it sort of moves us toward the direction where we're going to have movies that are completely, you know, not real characters on it. Right. 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 But probably they'll probably be acted by real people, but they'll be displayed as different, well, avatars <laughs> in the movie, basically. Right, right. Um, so I got a couple more. Oh, you know, I, what I think. What, I got, no, I got nothing with that. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay, go on then. Next. <laughs> I'm changing on you. I, I got nothing. I just want to. One of the things I'd written down, I wanted to say, I thought was kind of, uh, kind of funny, is that I, I think of the minimum of the minimal viable product is kind of like the approach is kind of like Marco Polo. You you remember the game Marco Polo? No. You ever play that in the pool? So when you're kids, a lot of time, one of the games you play in the pool of Marco Polo, which is, well, there's two big games. There's Sharks and Minnows and Marco Polo. Sharks and Minnows is that everybody's on one side of the pool, and there's one person who's a shark who's in the water, and you try and swim across without them tagging you above the water. Right. So, so they, you know, and everybody goes back and forth. And that's one fun game. The other one is Marco Polo. So everybody gets in the pool, and the, and the person who, um, Marco says, they have their eyes closed. 
And so they say, Marco, and everybody else says, Bolo. And so he's trying to find you. It's kind of like Battleship, right? Like, right. so he's trying to hear your voices. Every time he says, Marco, you have to say, Polo, no matter where you are. So you're trying to swim away from him. If he tags you, you're it. And then it's like, right. everybody, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like Marco Polo, right? You're like, product, Marco. And then the market, the market itself goes, Polo, <laughs> you know, Marco. <laughs> And then you're a polo. You're like, where is everybody? Oh, they're over there, Marco. And then you go over there. I think I like, understand. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're just you're you're kind of yelling <laughs> out, and it's like you're waiting for the market to yell back and and give you some feedback, so you can kind of iterate. And it's just sort of this, but it, the market doesn't ever really tell you what it wants. You have individual people who are really loud who may not be good proxies for the rest of the market. Anyway, yeah. I thought um, Marco Polo was a sort of a a funny. I think that's good, and and that has to be the title of the show. Marco Polo. <laughs> Marco Polo. <laughs> Because uh, okay. it's such well, a fantastic analogy. Yeah, you've never played. Is that they don't do Marco Polo in England? Uh, they probably do. I probably do know it, but um, why I are you not a you're not a big you know pool swimmer or anything? Um, well, you, I don't do huge amounts of exercise. <laughs> when you were a kid, I, I mean, guess yeah, when I, I was a kid, I, the pool I, always, the, I don't know. I was always the kid it. that tried to tried to to get out of things. What do you mean? You did like when everybody goes to the pool during the summer. You what? What do we? What would you do? No, hey, let's go no, swimming. No. If, okay. If what we're you... if we're at school and we're doing a big cross country, <laughs> a big cross country run, like you know, everyone's going to run two miles through the, through the woods, like an, or one of those. What do you call them? Marathons? That not a marathon. What do you do when you're kids? Like a what's it called? Where you sort of run maybe two or three miles. A a race, a run. <laughs> okay. I don't yeah. know. A race. Okay. So what you had to have, You'd go for a run. You go you basically the school has a race and you need people to mark out the racetrack. I would mm-hmm. always vote for that job. <laughs> you'd just be worried like you didn't want to run? Yeah, I just I just like be there with a the flag marking out the racetrack. I'd always try and get into that because I I guess I've always been kind of uh, a little bit lazy. That's funny. I was the whole opposite. I could not wait for the competitions and field days and all that kind of I stuff. I know. You, you who was cast as an Olympic swimmer when you were 18. Yeah, about 20, I think it was. Okay. Um, yeah, no. Which well, is kind of cool because we're completely opposite in that way. Right. I don't play music at all, and you don't do sports uh, at all. You are a very athletic person who goes to the gym every day, and I am not. <laughs> yeah, but you can pick up an instrument and make music, and I, I can turn on the, the music, and I can play the music on the radio or on the and last FM. You say potato, and I say potato. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I just can't believe you didn't go swimming in the pool. They have like a oh, of like course a lake I went or... swimming. Of course, I went swimming. But yeah, well, you didn't play Marco Polo. Uh. I've probably played it like twice in my life. But this is like the discussion last week on the on the lost episode where you told me that you'd never heard of Leonard Cohen. Which to me was gobsmacking. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, I don't know who he is. And it's just outrageous. Leonard Cohen. Let me look it up. Maybe it'll bring a, ring a bell once I see it. No, I don't. No. So I guess I guess me not playing Marco Polo makes you feel like you not knowing Leonard Cohen makes me feel. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I wonder if does everybody know who Leonard Cohen is? Because you said it was like he's like equivalent to Bob Dylan. I'd say there's no way. Well, he's, he, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a seminal uh, musician. Like he's very important in, in the history of music. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I don't know. 
So moving on, moving on. Okay, so. Moving on to where? Where you want to go? Go on. I got a bunch of topics. Do you know, hold on. How long have we been going? Let's just have a look. We don't want to give them too much. So okay, I got a, I got a, I got a few more real quick. Okay. 40, 50, 70, 80, 85 minutes so far, I think. Really? I think so. Okay, a couple, couple more of them real quick. Okay, a couple quick ones. Um, the, uh, one of them is, a, is there was a guy who wrote, a guy named Peter Christensen, who wrote uh, a, a topic, it was called Critical Fans or How Mixergy Did the Impossible. Okay. And he, we talked about this the last show, but it got erased. Right. Oh, no, we didn't record it, I'm sorry. And, uh, but I, I thought it was, I wanted to bring it up again. And he, I'm reading this article, I'm sitting at breakfast, kind of either, um, reading it as I'm eating some, uh, uh, my breakfast. And he, he says, yeah, he's like, you know, most podcasts are intolerable. They're just terrible. And he's like, some of them, you know, there's some that are passable, but the really, the, the best ones are a couple guys just sort of shooting the, shooting the breeze with some sort of an outline of a plan. I was like, huh. That sounds like us. Although outline of a plan is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but that sounds like us. I'm like, Peter Christensen. I was like, that sounds very familiar. And so I went and looked through our comments. And uh, sure enough, he had commented back like, you know, in July or something like that. And uh, said uh, that he really liked the show. Huh. And I was like, awesome. So he, because I was wondering, I'm like, is he talking about us? And I'm like, yeah, he, he was. At least I think he was. <laughs> well, we must have been one of the one of the two guys. Yeah, us well, and Stack Everflow other... and No Agenda. What else is there between those 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 that you can think of that anyone listens that has any? I I don't know, but I mean, I I know that we don't have anything like the numbers of either of those shows. Well, of course, I mean, you know, but okay, what um. What are your what are your podcasts that you listen to that are that you uh, you no agenda obviously that's your favorite that's your primary one, right? No agenda is the only one I really listen to. I, I just like because the thing about it is is I don't like it to be focused just on tech. You know I don't like the mm-hmm. only discussion to be about programming or whatever. Like, like I do little, I do Mark, tech all like day. Marco Polo thrown in. Yeah, I mean I do tech all day. I, I don't even want fifty percent of it to be about tech to be honest. Like I just yeah. want to talk about life. Okay. But obviously, tech's you know an important aspect. Go talk about life. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> we've been doing it. Tell you me, know, your, the way, tell the me way, about your life. The way we've been doing it for the last four episodes works for me. I just think we should change our name to Techish. Techish. I don't no, know. I'm kidding. Tell people tell us what you think. You know, I think everybody's gonna say that is so asinine. Like I will refuse. I will cancel my subscription. <laughs> okay. Okay. The other thing that I was thinking we should change the name to is Generation Zero. Because oh, and by the way, if anyone in terms of me making fun of it, that was a name I came up with. So I'm allowed to make what, fun of the name. What, which one did you come up with? Techish. Yeah, you came up with Techish, and, and you came and you came up with Texing. Both of them, which you hate. I do. I come up with stuff, and then I and then I immediately hate it. Yeah. As soon as somebody else likes it, then I'm like, oh, it's crap. Now I got to get out of it because they're going to be attached to it. But um, I think Generation Zero wouldn't be a bad name because the song which I wrote way back when is called Generation Zero. And the other good thing about Which I it, love the, I love the song. I mean, the good thing about that name is it doesn't mean anything. So we could then do whatever we want. You know, we could have our anchor of tech, but we could also go wherever. And if anyone said, why is it called Generation Zero? We're just like, well, I don't know. It's just the name, you know. And I the song. I'd be interested to hear what, what the, the listeners at home think about that. Yeah. What, uh, so, so do you use any other podcasts? I'm just curious if there's anything else that, other than No Agenda. I, I listen to This Week in Tech occasionally. Uh, listen to No Agenda mainly. 
Um, it's it's not really reflective of the fact that I don't listen to lots of podcasts. It's just that I don't listen to. Hmm, that doesn't make sense. It's reflective of the fact that at the moment I don't listen to very much audio entertainment. Before, when I when I used to commute, I used to listen to quite a few podcasts, and there I would listen to stuff you know stuff like Channel Flip, um, This Week in Tech, um, various other tech podcasts that I'd get my hands on. Yeah, but yeah. now No Agenda in this time, I just listen to No Agenda because it's the only one I can actually li- listen to for the small amount of audio entertainment that I listen to, basically. I see. Yeah, as I my my, I mean, I've mentioned Stack Overflow is one of my favorites, and um, I sort the other of one, I sort of like Stack Overflow, but some there's something about it that doesn't do it for me. They, I like they're, they're not, it's not fun enough. Yeah, a little too old business. It's like they're not. I, I guess they're too. I don't know. Normal. Like with no, with no agenda, there's something kind of remarkable about Adam Curry and um, John C. Dvorak. Well, because they're not taking themselves very seriously at all. It's just total. Yeah. And then they just talk about weird stuff. And I mean, I really do like Stack Overflow and I don't want Stack Overflow people to listen to this and think that I don't. But it's just, I don't know. That's I like not... uh, Cranky Geeks too. With Dvor- I like John C. Dvorak, I think is hilarious. Yeah, he's he's, like... he rocks. He kind of reminds me of an uncle of mine who's really funny, and I love to visit. I'm always like, Uncle John, say something, you know, say something. Like, <laughs> he's like, you know what, Jason? I, you know, I just, uh, he, he, I, I, so I really like Dvorak. I think he's hilarious. He's a so. great curmudgeon. Yeah, it does. I like the curmudgeonly humor. Curmudgeonly humor just makes me makes me laugh. I and that's why when he's not on this week in tech, I can't even listen to it because they're I, all just let, being nice to each other. Yeah, it's just bland. I mean, they're nice, smart people, but I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. I need someone being curmudgeonly and complaining and let's go back to tech. Rah, I think that's crap. You know what it is? I think that Stack Overflow is too highbrow for me. Too highbrow? Yeah, it makes me think too much. I've got to think about the actual code. Because mm. they're, they're, they're the often talking like. about code, aren't they? They're often yeah. talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, do something that breaks the heap or something like that. Right, right. Well, you know, um, breaks the heap. You know, the other one that's uh, that's, that's how good tech is. I am. <laughs> yes. Go on, what? What even? No, you know what I mean. Well, like when I think I'm when going you, through my list, my I, you misplace a pointer and it goes to somewhere on the heap, and then that crashes the computer or something like that. Right. They right. just because they're both very uh, techy. Yeah, but another one good. I like. I mean, Cranky Geeks is good, which he which he heard. That's pretty entertaining. And again, that's uh, Dvorak and Tech Five. Which so the other one that I listen, one of my other favorites, is, um, and I mentioned before, was uh, this guy named Max Kaiser who does The Truth About Markets. He's hilarious. I mean, it's he and his girlfriend, who's actually she's like a you know a commentator. I think he probably dated her after they had done some of these. Sh- um, Max Kaiser Report TV shows or something that he had done, and uh, they they talk about basically all the corruption in, in the um, in the markets around the world and everything like that. And he's kind of, he's over the top. I mean, he's, he's only, I think he's only partially serious about some of the things he says, but uh, that one's hilarious too. Um, if anyone's looking for something kind of listen to. I saw a really interesting thing um, actually from CNN, but it's, it's a, an online TV channel called VBS.TV. And mm-hmm. they, they've done a documentary about, North Korea and sort of took them a year to get into North Korea, North Korea. And it's a real kind of just handheld camera documentary about Korea. 
but it's it's online and it's at vbs.tv and it was just so interesting like the north was it that was that those girl those women who were captured and held prisoner and then no 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 had to go or clinton had to go over and get them out uh no something different it's just like a just like a, a documentary guy goes in there and just basically films his experience and it's just really you, rem- you remember that story right she, no remind like me six months ago remember? it was like six months ago or something it was like a current tv or something it was like al gore has some i think he's a executive or on the board or something i think it's current tv i may be wrong it's one of these startup media organizations and they had a couple of their like producer you know, a journalist or something went over North Korea and, and, and went across the line somewhere and ended up getting picked up by the North Korean military or something and thrown into prison. Were held a couple of weeks until they finally got till Clinton flew over there and negotiated them being released. That's I'm like maybe that's is I was wondering if that was the show. No, 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 it's not the show. But basically, this this guy goes and bribes his way in from um, I think it's uh, China, and the right. cr- bribes his way in via the Korean consulate and gets in there and. They take. They basically take him on a tour of the career that they want to show him. So he goes down to breakfast, and he's in this room. It's just him. He's being served by twenty people, but it's like a stately banquet room, and they right. put food on all of the tables, and including his. So he just he eats his meal, and then when he finishes his meal, they take food off all of the other tables. <laughs> so they're really? just they're just proving that they've got lots of food. Uh. <laughs> and then they and then they take him to the famous um, American ship that was captured in 1958 or whatever. And on that ship, there's like I don't know seven seven bullet holes, and they've got them circled. And they're like, and, and these are the famous bullet holes that the brave soldiers of North Korea shot into this ship. And it's right. just it's just nuts. That's crazy. So this isn't a podcast at all, is it? No, no, it's not a podcast. <laughs> Actually, I've made um. So the, I just want to be clear: we're not talking about podcasts. No, 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 no. So, so um, I've I've made a short link for people to get to it. So, if you just go bitly forward slash tz career, uh, that's bitly forward slash tz career, and if you, it'll just take you straight in that. Um, it's just very interesting. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably call it a show. I think we right. should. I'm, I'm. I feel like we've uh, suitably had had enough off tech topics. Okay. Good. <laughs> we want to scratch that itch too. <laughs> All right, so we recorded this one, right? Oh, hang on, let me just check. Uh oh. Don't even mess around. <laughs> I quit. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>